Thanks for tuning in to NL News Day. It is Monday, the first day of the work week. And as always, pleased to welcome to the program now, Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you here today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I yeah, appreciate you coming on as always. Now, I wanted to start with this lawsuit that has been filed on behalf of those in Lytton. It's being led by a woman who lost her home, all her belongings, her cat as well, in that deadly fire that occurred on June the 30th. And this lawsuit is looking to sue CN and CP Rail. The civil suit filed last week in BC Supreme Court. And the uh, notice of civil claim says it is brought forward on behalf of all persons with loss of real or personal property or business losses in the Lytton fire. And the lawsuit alleging the two rail companies ought to have known it was unsafe to operate freight trains on the day that the Lytton Creek fire broke out. On that afternoon, the temperature above 45 degrees, the fire risk was extreme, and wind gusts going up over 70 kilometers per hour. Um, the suit says neither rail companies took preventative measures to reduce the chance of starting a wildfire. Now, Kyla, I, I totally understand why this suit would be coming forward. It is, you know, with one woman's name on it on behalf of all the people of Lytton. But it seems like it might be something that, I mean, the, the the rail companies have yet to take any kind of responsibility. I mean, is this kind of maybe push the envelope by filing a suit like this and, and trying to get some more answers out of a, a rail company that maybe uh, has not provided all the answers to what happened on that day? This absolutely does push the envelope. As soon as you file a civil suit, it sets in motion a process whereby you can compel people on the other side of the lawsuit to produce documents, to produce information. You can compel other individuals to come and essentially engage in an interview with you known as an examination for discovery. It gives people the ability essentially to investigate what happened and to get the information that maybe the rail companies don't want to be made public at this point in time. Now, this, of course, we've talked before about CP and CN and these, you know, mammoth companies, these rail companies that operate here in Canada and the difficulty that comes with trying to, you know, maneuver through the, 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 the legal process when we're dealing with companies of this particular size. I mean, hard to say exactly what the outcomes would be, obviously, but this is something I would imagine is going to take years to work its way through the court process. Oh, absolutely. A lawsuit like this, and I think we, we talked about this before, mm -hmm. is the type of thing that's not settled very quickly. There's going to be years of just applications being heard in court to determine what do documents have to be produced, who has to attend for these interviews, um, you know, the scheduling of various applications for um, pretrial matters, uh, hearings of pretrial interviews before any of the actual court case is going to take place. So I don't anticipate anybody in Lytton, if they are entitled to compensation at the end of a lawsuit is going to be seeing a dime should this matter proceed to trial for probably at least a decade. Now, um, I was curious too, when we're talking about this type of a civil suit um, and the fact that it's done on behalf of all the people of Lytton, I mean, do they have to go through and interview everyone who wants to be a part of this, like in a, in a class action or something like that, right? You sign on to be a part of it, but this is sort of just um, basically putting people on the suit, whether they kind of approve of it or not. I mean, am I kind of correct in that? 
Yeah, essentially a class action applies to all the people who are affected by an action. Um, so if, if CN or CP Rail were negligent, then all of the people that were harmed by their negligent would be covered. As long as you can identify who the members of the class are, which is very easy in this case, it's the people who owned property um, or had property in the community of Lytton that was damaged by the fire. As long as you can identify the members of the class, and it's not so broad as to include a mass amount of people that would be unmanageable for the court, then the class is uh, then the class is is anybody that's affected by it. You can opt out. You can contact uh, the people who are uh, in charge of the litigation and say, I don't want to be a part of this action. Um, but if you're a member of the class, you're essentially deemed to be a party of the lawsuit unless you take steps to make yourself otherwise. What would be the potential downsides of being a part of this? I can't think of what really would be a negative outcome uh, if you were to have signed on. Like, why would someone want to opt out? Um, I, I guess one reason that people might want to opt out is they might think that pursuing a different course of action uh, in dealing with the compensation claim might be better, especially in a case like this where people had home insurance, vehicle insurance, those types of things that are going to cover their losses. A question might arise if they've filed a lawsuit, uh, whether that's actually the appropriate forum to deal with all of this or whether the insurer should be trying to recoup the costs from uh, the CN or CP rail company um, and whether or not uh, the lawsuit against uh, by the individuals against the company is the appropriate forum to deal with this. So, you know, those types of questions might arise in the context of this proceeding. And I expect those to be some of the arguments that the rail companies might bring in response to the lawsuit and attempting to defeat it. Would there be any implications outside of this uh, in terms of the rail companies themselves maybe having to, you know, just the fact that this suit would be taking place, assuming it does, you know, get approval and go forward and, and all that stuff does does indeed happen. But would it at the very least, even if, if nothing were to happen compensation-wise or we're looking, you know, three, four, five years down the road and this thing is still making its way through the court, is there at least the possibility where the rail companies involved would have to maybe re-examine their operations because they're, they're dealing with this legal action? or is that just completely, I mean, it is completely separate, I suppose, right? It's, it wouldn't have any necessary connection at this point. It's not likely to see the court ordering that the rail companies do something specific as far as their operations. Those types of orders don't generally get made in lawsuits for financial compensation. But what is possible and probable coming out of a lawsuit, regardless of what the court decides, is that the company is going to review everything that it did to determine what led to this incident so that they don't get sued in the future. Right. Because it's expensive to be sued whether or not you win. Right. Well, uh, this is, I'm not surprised that this suit was filed, and I'm, I'm very curious to follow it, but uh, it might be a bit of an exhausting process to follow it the whole way through. So we'll, we'll continue to pay attention. I'm sure you and I might have conversations about this again in the future. Uh, I wanted to shift gears here a, a little bit with you, Kyla, and talk about this really sad incident that occurred in Tofino uh, at a school there. Uh, the mayor of Tofino says his daughter required reconstructive surgery after she was hit by a pickleball paddle at her school. Um, he's alleging the investigation into this incident was tainted because one of the boys who allegedly threw the rackets is related to a school administrator who was, you know, 
doing some of the work in the investigation into this. So uh, last April, 14-year-old Joseph, Josephina Law, daughter of Tofino Mayor Dan Law, cleaning up after gym class when she said two boys started throwing pickleball paddles with one of them taking aim at her face. She was taken to the Tofino Hospital for assessment then had to go see her dentist. One of her teeth fractured, another knocked out, her gums severely damaged, leaving roots exposed, her mouth put in a cast, and despite that reconstructive surgery on her lip, she now does have a permanent scar. I mean, this is just a, a horrible thing for a 14-year-old to have to go through, really at any age, but I can't imagine in the early part of your high school career having to deal with something like this. But what ended up happening was the one boy was suspended and one received zero punishment at all. I mean, is there a conflict of interest here when you have someone related to those who are being accused of wrongdoing, investigating indeed what happened and deciding what types of punishment should be put on those kids in this, this type of a school scenario? That's definitely a conflict of interest. Anytime you have somebody who has a relative or a friend or a family member or even just any type of a relationship that would make them less likely to be objective, uh, then that's a conflict of interest. And it doesn't even require that there is an absence of actual objectivity. Even if you feel, you know, as the person investigating this, I can separate my relationship with this person from investigating the facts of what happened and determining what disciplinary action is necessary. If there's a perception that there is a conflict of interest, which obviously occurs in a case like this where the people are related, um, then that perception is enough to taint the process because everybody is entitled to fairness in these types of proceedings. And one of the elements of fairness is, is that the process is free from even the appearance of some type of a bias. Where does this potentially go as uh, Mayor Law, I mean, I guess is concerned about what happened. His daughter doesn't really want to go back to school in the community. He's debating, you know, leaving the community, but he still has to uh, act as mayor. So that would be a real difficult situation for him to be living outside the community. But then, uh, you know, being the, the political head of the municipality, I mean, there's a confusion that comes along with all of that. Um, but, uh, you know, does this have any implications beyond dealing with the actual school itself? Does something like this? go to court or, or what would happen if if the mayor's uh, complaint here uh, got, does does indeed uh, start to move forward usually these things don't go through a court process because this is an administrative action in the school um, generally the next step is for the school board to review the conduct um, and to review the investigation and determine whether or not it was conducted fairly and free from the appearance of bias and if after that review um, Mr. Law is still not satisfied then it could go to court in the sense that a judicial review of the decision making process could be filed in court. It's an expensive and time consuming and costly process and I would really question sort of the, the need to engage in that type of a process in a case like this where from what it appears from what's been reported in the news there has been some discipline as far as the suspension. And his bigger complaint is the way in which the investigation was carried out. To go through all of that cost and expense um, only to get an answer that the investigation wasn't handled fairly, but ultimately the suspension was a, a perfectly reasonable outcome, um, would likely just be getting kind of a Pyrrhic victory that wouldn't be worth the expense and the effort. Yeah, and I guess the only potential thing that could really stem from all that that might be deemed a win would be um, uh, changes to how investigations like this will be handled in the future. Yes, and I would hope that the sort of negative attention that's been brought to the way in which the investigation was conducted in this incident would change that without the need of having to have a yeah. court say, obviously, you should avoid a conflict. Yeah, you would, you would hope that would be the case, but... <laughs>
we'll have to we'll have to see. Um, I think that's all for now, Kala. But uh, great stuff as always. Appreciate your time. Thanks for coming back on with me in the afternoon after a couple weeks here on the morning, and uh, we'll hopefully get a chance to do it again next week. Absolutely. Thank you. Awesome stuff right there. Thanks so much. Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee joining me as she does every single Monday here on NL Newsday. Interesting step in relation to that lawsuit with, uh, you know, Lytton and the residents there trying to sue CN and CP. We'll see how that goes ahead. But Kyla mentioned that is probably a 10 year process or something along those lines in terms of a timeline. And uh, yeah, just interesting that conflict of interest that does come into play when we're talking about uh, that school situation in Tofino. I feel so bad for that poor girl 